0: to Mashley at the Movies. I'm Matt. I'm Ashley. And Kenneth Branagh is back as Mr. Poirot, Mr. <laughs> Hercule Poirot, in a new uh, mystery called A Haunting in Venice.
1: So this is based on an Agatha Christie novel called Halloween Party. I should say loosely based because the if you've read that book, the, the plot of that novel has very little to do with the plot of this movie. Um, this movie is set in Venice... Um, it's uh, 1947, so just after World War II. Hercule Poirot is retired. He's living kind of a secluded existence here in Venice, um, but he is visited by an old friend, Ariadne Oliver. She is a detective novelist, and she has come to Hercule Poirot because she has found a psychic who she think might she thinks might be the real deal. Um, so she invites him to a seance that this psychic will be performing that night. Um, it's at the home of uh, an opera singer whose daughter recently died. Um, there also happens to be a Halloween party happening at that house for for children that same night. This is Halloween night. So will Hercule Poirot be able to determine if this psychic is a fraud or the real deal? That's kind of the setup for this movie. Of course, there may be Burners along the way who knows (laughs) matt what did you think of this movie
0: so i like what this movie tries to do um it tries to be sort of this you know thriller like a gothic horror film with perhaps maybe supernatural elements we don't know um and yeah there's a lot of uh kenneth Bronner directed this as well stars in it um, there's a lot of Dutch angles, distractingly so, in my opinion. Um, I do like the cinematography. Uh, it's by Harris uh, Zembar-Lucas. so the movie looks good. In you know, the, it's set in 1947 in Venice. It's post-war. You know, it's the, the the colors are all drab and gray. Primary action takes place in this um, Venetian house, you know, right on the water, as most things in Venice are, and yeah, it. So it has a on the one hand it has good ingredients. So imagine okay here's how I would describe this movie for me anyway is you have a recipe for what is could be a really good tasty delicious dish and you get all the ingredients that you're supposed to get. but when you're putting it all together, it, it, you maybe along the way you don't do a couple of things right and it comes out uh, just so so. It's not as good as it could be. That's kind of how I feel about this movie. Uh, one of the things... I, I feel like this movie's 20... The first 20 or 30 minutes is really clunky. I feel like it, it, it... I I felt like it was all over the place as far as tone. And it was very obvious. And what I mean by that is... You know... It, it's really... Uh, it's really trying to be scary. Right? right. And... Yeah. Some horror movies... You know that's what they're trying to do. They have the little jump scares. They have the trappings of a horror film. But the best ones have those ingredients but rise above it to not make make you so aware that that's what it's doing. Whereas this movie, like I said earlier, I mean, with the angles of the shots and... With, uh, you know, everything just seems like such spooky spooky trappings. And sometimes that's fine. Like, if I go to, like, a haunted house attraction, which I go to a lot this time of year, um, I expect those things. And those things are pretty, uh, you know, ubiquitous. And they work, though. That's a different experience. It's a different environment. In a movie, I don't know. Especially in a movie that is this high caliber. I mean, you've got, like, a, a stacked cast. You, you, aside from Kenneth Branagh, you've got um, uh, Michelle Yao, Tina Fey uh you got little jude hill and uh jamie dornan who played father and son uh in this movie as well as in belfast you've got a really good cast here and um yeah the first half hour or so just didn't work for me now after that i think the movie does kind of find its footing and it settles down a bit that said overall this movie feels a little slight um I probably would put this second. So Kenneth Branagh has done three Erkio Paro films. I would put this second after Death in the Nile. Um, Although I probably would rewatch this one more, if that makes sense. I don't know. It's difficult to tell. I think Death in the Nile is a better movie. But this is more digestible and rewatchable. Yeah, so that's fine. Those are my basic
1: thoughts on it. <laughs> yeah, it's hard not to talk about this movie without talking about the the style of it. It's very kind of over the top, with as you said, the the spooky elements. And I kind of dug that. I thought it was pretty cool. Um, uh, I it was not. It's not subtle at all, and I kind of liked that about it. I don't know. Uh, I will agree with you though. At the beginning of the movie, it was a little too frenetic, and. You're right. Once it once it calmed down a bit, I think it it really that's when it really started working more for me. Um, so, the the novel that this is based on, Halloween Party, is not one of her kind of great novels by any means. Unlike you know the, the first two adaptations, um, Death on the Nile and Murder on the Orient Express, and for that reason, it's not a very well known story. And in fact. You know, I think this movie is kind of more inspired by that novel because there are just elements from that novel, but really not much else. And that's kind of, I don't know, as, as a big fan of Agatha Christie, I could see how that might annoy me sometimes. I have been annoyed by previous adaptations that kind of ignored the original um, setup of, you know, the original plot of the book. But here it doesn't bother me. And I don't know why, other than I think... The acting is really good, and they, I, I liked the plot that they came up with. I'll say that.
0: I would agree with that. Although, I mean, as an aside, I am annoyed by, you know, I feel like the more and more modern adaptations of Agatha Christie really deviates, you know. Yeah. Um, I mean, I'm just going to give you an example. So, you know, the most recent type of Miss Marple adaptations that are now, like, I don't know, 10 or even 20 years old, but, like, they took one of my favorites, Miss Marple stories, Nemesis, which features among the characters um, three sisters who live together as basically as spinsters in an old English country house. And uh, <laughs> in the most recent adaptation done a few years ago, they turned them into nuns, you know? <laughs> I mean, in um, another time, in, in uh, there was an adaptation they did of another Agatha Christie story at Bertram's Hotel, where... There's a character in there named Canon Pennyfather and his whole role in the, in the story is he's old he's absent-minded he he now his absent-mindedness does come into play as uh, as a plot development but yeah I mean he's just a kind of a doddering sweet old man in, in the adaptation <laughs> they did a few years ago he's turned into this Nazi war criminal who once uncovered literally snarls at the other characters and I'm like, what are you doing? Yeah. You know, I mean, that's just, that is becoming so far afield from the source material that, uh, you know, we were at another movie. It might've been, might've been Aristotle and Dante. Uh, Before that screening, there was this little featurette that they showed at the theater about a hunting in Venice. And, uh, you know, they had quick interviews with the different actors and stuff, including Kenneth Branagh. And he described Agatha Christie as something like, you know, the best mystery writer ever. You know, that's, you know, we, she was great. And I'm like, well, why are you changing her story so much? <laughs> you know, it's like that one, I don't know if there's a book called that or whatever. It's called, I I, I love you, you're perfect, not change. <laughs> like, that's what people do to Agatha Christie now. <laughs> I love you, you're a great writer. I'm just going to change everything you wrote. Yeah.
1: I, I think that in... You know, in the examples that you just gave us of those Miss Marple stories, what I what I don't like in that in that case is, first of all, those are those are better books; uh, those stories mm-hmm. are better, and you're making changes to them for no good reason. Um, that actually changes kind of the tone and kind of the themes of the, of the book. Uh, that I don't like. Here, I mean, you're basically with with um haunting in venice he's basically created a whole new plot. I mean there's not much there's not much I can say,
0: you know. Well, it's interesting. This has the same bones as the the sorry when when we got on watching it, I went online and read a, a the a whole plot synopsis for the book, mm-hmm. the Halloween party book. And um there are it, the movie follows some of the same beats. Mm. And even has some of the same character names. Yes. Mm-hmm. Now, I mean, Halloween Party, the book is set in a you know quaint English village, um, but so there are certain similarities. I mean, but yeah, I mean, I, I would be curious to know why they changed this to Venice. You know, I mean, I it's interesting. You know, offline, you and I were talking about movies set in Venice and the different tone that Venice takes in those movies. So just. Recently, you and I published a, a review here for Summertime, which was in 1955. That's just 10, 10 years after World War II and fascist Italy and everything. And Venice was, I mean, it was like a travel log for Venice. And, you know, Westerners were going there to vacation and thought it was beautiful. And that movie, Venice, was popping mm-hmm. with bright colors and, you know, romance and what have you. Mm-hmm. Uh, in the early 70s, there's the movie Don't Look Now. Um, which Venice is not bright and popping. <laughs> Venice is very gray and overcast and, and sad uh, and spooky, kind of like in this movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I, I, I don't know is I don't know whether they thought that a small English village would be not sell enough for like you know audiences worldwide. Um, you know, for a major movie like this, mm-hmm. and they needed something more exotic, more well known. Um, but maybe photographs better. I don't know. I love the look of old English villages, but maybe, I don't know. I don't know what their little marketing told them. Yeah, I don't know either, but
1: I, I feel like it, it makes a good change because um, I, I really liked the the dark, shadowy cinematography, um, the scenes where they arrive on, on, the, on the little gondolas on the canal and, and they're wearing masks.
0: The whole Halloween... Uh, see, that's my... That didn't work for me because that's one of the things I said like was referencing earlier. It's way too obvious. Mm. It's way too obvious that they are they were really trying to make this spooky.
1: Yeah. And I, I don't know. It worked for me. I know it wasn't subtle, but I don't know. Yeah. It, it worked for me. Um, then yeah, and going with, along with that the, there's lavish the lavish sets that they have uh-huh. here and the costumes and there's a there's a very really disturbing kind of story that gets told to the children um, during the Halloween party. I thought the way that that was dramatized was really, really cool. Um, yeah, it just does a really good job of, of setting a, this very haunted vibe, and mm-hmm. and I liked
0: that. Yeah, so you and I are familiar with the source material Halloween party. Um, it's not one of my favorites. I think it's very dry. Um, it's, and also, I have a problem with it because... It is it's children being murdered and or, you know, or being threatened with murder and I'm like you know I'm, I'm not a fan of that mm-hmm. Agatha Christie also did a, a novel and I won't say which one it is in case <laughs> you know you want to read it sometime but uh, a novel where a child was the killer and I, I I have issues with that I mean you know Agatha Christie is a is a, sort of the 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 original cozy mystery author right mm-hmm. and i i don't want to leave kids alone <laughs> leave kids alone right i don't want them murdered i don't want them being murderers um and so yeah i mean the the halloween party book i mean it's it's got a a, a kid being murdered on halloween night or yeah because they talk about how they think they saw a murder before so yeah mm-hmm. the murderers trying to cover their tracks mm-hmm. and i don't know that just did not sit well with me so here's i will say a couple of things the movie changed that I am well, on board with. One is, and this I was a little confused about this for a little while, but the the person who was murdered, the the it was not a kid in this movie. It was, I guess, a teenager. Mm-hmm. Um, I was a little unclear about their age because you know by the time the movie starts they were they've been dead like I don't know a year or something and the mother, Rowena Drake, the opera singer person you mentioned earlier, she takes everybody into, uh, her kid's bedroom and it very much looks like a kid's room. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's like stuffed animals and whatever, but then you see th- this person in flashbacks and it's like, Oh, well they're at the very least a teenager. Mm-hmm. And one of the people who shows up, you know, a Halloween night is her-, her fiance. So I'm like, Oh, well she was obviously old enough to get married. Um, uh, for whatever reason, I had a kid's bedroom. But anyway, I like the fact that they made this person older, right? Mm-hmm. Um, also, one of my disappointments when I first uh, uh, came face-to-face with Halloween Party is only a little bit of the beginning takes place on Halloween night. Um, and then it quickly moves on to post-Halloween. And I'm like, do not call a novel Halloween Party. <laughs> and only have a little bit at the beginning take place on Halloween. Yeah. That's a to me. That's a bait and switch. Yeah, uh, this movie takes place all on Halloween night, um, and I, I like that change. I like that change too. Um,
1: so we've talked about you know the kind of look and, and feel of the film. So it does have kind of a, a dark uh, undertone, but I found that there's quite a there's humor in it as well. Um, just little flashes of humor, and mostly coming from Poirot, little statements that he makes. And I think Kenneth Branagh. Does a good job as Poirot. He's he's never going to be he's never gonna reach the, you know, the levels of David Suchet, who did the who's the definitive Hercule Poirot. Not even Peter used to not, in my opinion. But yeah. <laughs> but I mean, I can tell that he likes the character and I think he plays it fine. Um I I don't get, you know, as someone who love as we've said before, loves Agatha Christie and I love Hercule Poirot, I'm not offended by this portrayal. All right. Um, but, and I think he does have some, some good lines. I also liked, uh, Tina Fey as Ariadne Oliver. Um, that is a character who, you know, we've seen various actresses play that character over the years. I've never really been a fan of any of them. Um, I kind of liked her as Ariadne Oliver. Um, I don't know what you thought, but I thought she, she just brought some humor to it and kind of an edge to it that I hadn't seen before.
0: Uh, not a fan. I was <laughs> uh, not a huge fan of Tina Fey's portrayal, but I'm not a fan of that character in general. Yeah, um, There's this weird thing that happened to Agatha Christie and Dorothy L. Sayers uh, later in their careers. Where So Dorothy L. Sayers wrote the Lord Peter Whimsey mysteries, and in the later Lord Peter books, all of a sudden here comes this female mystery author named Harriet <laughs> Vane, and her and Lord Peter... You know, they meet cute and well, not really cute because she's on trial for murder it was the first time they meet, but you know, she, she, they eventually, you know, court and then get married. And I mean, it's a thinly veiled version of Dorothy L. Sayers in a way or a romanticized version. Uh, and then, yeah, toward uh, the latter part of Agatha, I feel like it's the latter part of Agatha Christie's writing career. Like, all of a sudden, here comes this female <laughs> mystery author, right? Who, you know, muscles are way into Hercule Poirot novels. And again, I mean, I'm like, okay, so this is a thinly <laughs> veiled Agatha Christie. And, um, it, it just felt a little weird. You know, um, I think Harriet Vane, though, works a lot better, mm-hmm. um, as a character. Uh, Ariadne Oliver, Ariadne Oliver is basically just Agatha Christie being like, okay, what if I was an Hercule Poirot novel? <laughs> Uh, and I, I've always that's always bugged me and I don't like the character and I've never really liked any portrayals um, of her we, we, we listen to we listen to uh, Agatha Christie radio adaptations the BBC's done and I don't really care for for her on those either so yeah Well, I agree with you generally I
1: don't like the character and I haven't liked previous portrayals but I thought Tina Fade brought something interesting to the role she's so. right. <laughs> I also shout out to uh, Jude Hill, the young actor who we saw um, in Kenneth Branagh's Belfast. He's in this movie as well. He's excellent. Very interesting uh, role for a child to be playing. And I think he does it really, really good. Um, really
0: good job. I would agree. I think it was Matt Zoller's review of this on watcherebert.com where he he uh, you know gave some props to Jude Hill and Describe him as 12 going on 40. <laughs> yes. which I would I really agree. Uh, um, it's interesting. I thought about this movie a bit since we've watched it, and I think I would maybe be more forgiving of it or like it better if I just watched it on TV one night. You know, like I'm sure as movies are these days, this will be on, you know, this will be available for streaming probably in the next few weeks. And this is a good time of year to watch a movie like this. And I think that in that context, it'll work better. Um, you know, I was thinking about this, uh, this sort of this idea. Uh, I think it was last week. Uh, I'm trying to remember what we reviewed. Um, oh, The Nun, 2. Yeah, that's right. Uh, <laughs> but this is not just those two movies. But you know, I, I think I'm a little, I'm a little harder on a movie or expect a little bit more when I see it at a theater. You know, there's a difference between. You know, renting a movie on Amazon Prime for $2.99 and just watching it from on my couch. Uh, And then, like, paying money to go to the theater, getting in my car, going to the theater. I mean, we saw this movie in IMAX. So $15 per ticket. And then maybe you get a concession or two. And yeah, I mean, at that point, I think psychologically, my mind is, is, is pumped for this better be good. And yeah, if, if there are any issues I have with it, I think they're little—they're little—they're uh, um, blown up a bit if I'm seeing it at a theater. Um, so I just kind of wanted to throw that in. I think as time goes on, I may be I may look back and be like, ah, oh, you know, this movie was okay. It was better than I thought. Yeah.
1: Well, I think because what I liked so much about the movie was the the look of it, the fact that we got to see it on an IMAX screen. Um, I think really enhanced the whole experience. So, you know, I would say see it on an IMAX screen if you can, rather than streaming it. But I, I understand <laughs> people may not be willing to shell out the money to go see this on an IMAX
0: screen. Yeah. Um, and it was us and I think five other people. Right? Yeah. <laughs> what would you give this out of ten? Uh, I'm going to give it seven out of ten. All right, I give it six. So our score is a six and a half. That is a haunting in Venice. <laughs> Thank you for listening. Thanks
1: lights go on again all over the world and the boys are home again